Solutions Group. All right, our levels look great. Let's get right into this interview here with Mr. Jeff Zarling with Dawa Solutions Group and also the proud proprietor of a coffee brand as well. So let's start the interview off before we get to the main event with a little appetizer and serve some coffee up for the folks. Talk about your coffee company and how that kind of got started. That's a bit of a long winding story, but the brief description is um, I own a grain elevator in downtown Williston and have been looking at redevelopment ideas, which has led me to look at craft brewing and coffee shops and other things in addition to condos and office space, etc. That exploration led me to look at a coffee business with somebody and led me to more of the supply chain and I got interested in the roasting side of the business. Uh, it's kind of a hobby actually. Um, and then additionally that just rolled into branding with our exposure and experience in the oil and gas industry for the last 18 years. Um, and we've developed Roughneck Coffee. Roughneck Coffee. Uh, talk to me about where people can get it, because that's another unique part of your uh, distribution model as well. I should say your business model is, is getting it out to the masses in kind of a, I don't know, I call it a unique way. Well, we've got, uh, you know, traditional retailers, um, you can get a Little Muddy Gifts in Williston, the um, gift shop at the visitor center near the airport in Williston. Um, and then we partner with safety companies because, you know, we're oil and gas guys and gals get their training and their PPE and stuff. Um, so we sell through air gas, on-site safety, everything safety, base and safety carries our product. And then, of course, direct-to-consumer online at roughneckcoffee.com. All right. So if there's a safety company out there, they can certainly get in touch with Jeff if they want to distribute that coffee as well. Uh, we're here to talk about Dawa, which has also has a milestone. I shouldn't say also. I mean, Roughneck Coffee is probably about a year old, isn't it? Uh, May of 18 is when we launched that. Okay, a little over a year old then. Uh, but you've got your your main company. The reason we're here today to talk is uh, is just reached a milestone. Is it twenty years that you've been operating now? Twenty years. That's got to be pretty exciting for you. It is. Um, you know, we kind of recognized that about a year ago that we were coming up on our twentieth anniversary. So we uh, decided to um, hold an event to celebrate the milestone with our our customers and. Our, our clients and, and our colleagues that we've worked with over the years on numerous projects. Um, planning in earnest started earlier this year, probably January, February, started going through our client list, past projects. Um, you know, we do a lot of photography for our events and, and for the, the creative material that we do. So we had a ton of just reflection. Um, so it's been interesting to look at the evolution of our business as well as the evolution of our clients. Um, we have a lot of very long-term clients that uh, as they grow, we grow. Um, and, and we take great pride in being a part of their business and helping them succeed. We're like a part of their team for, for many of our clients because we build systems that they use to run their business. We have basically two core uh, competencies. We have programmers and we have creatives. And in addition to that, project management um, is a core skill of ours. So um, we build websites, web-based applications, and do the creative, everything from logo design, uh, print material, trade show graphics, etc. And so um, some of our clients we've been working with for over a decade uh, we built the load pass permit system um, to, ma to manage that previously paper process. I think it was back in 2009 or eight or something like that. Um, so it's been a long time, a lot of reflections, been nostalgic. It's kind of like looking through all the pictures when your kids are graduating and you're putting together their 
party and a lot of reflection. Jeff Zarlin's our guest with Dawa. I, I met you, I believe, in Minot. I can't remember if it was the uh, Golden Valley Country Club down in Minnesota, outside of Minneapolis, or if it was Minot uh, at a, an event that you you put on that you were the promoter organizer yeah, for. It was a Minot one. Okay, I, I couldn't remember if you were down at that uh, Minneapolis one or not. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But that was probably 2013, 2014, just if I'm going off the top of my head here. Um, talk probably to me a little. Oh, go ahead. 12. Yep. That was 2012. Excuse me. Okay, well, there we go. I'm, I'm dating myself here with my memory. <laughs> Uh, you know, a lot's changed since then. You know, we've had we've had the ramp up to hundred dollar oil. We've had the downturn. We've had the the uh, ramp up to you know sixty dollar oil, seventy dollar oil. We'll call it whatever you want to say. Now we're having kind of that age of uncertainty right now. I don't know if you're hearing it, but I'm certainly hearing it out there from the Utica down to the Permian to the DJ to the Bakken that you know variety of reasons companies overspent and you know you got the whole Colorado blueprint with their uh, regulations that is a ban on oil and gas and a number of different things so there is a, a whiff of uncertainty out there but from then to now just tell me about your experience a little bit from living in Williston, from, you know, relocating there and, and kind of going to, you know, church and seeing the, the, the roughnecks, kids and families and, and being a part of it. Because this is the listeners out there are going to take advantage of this because this is a real good opportunity to listen to the past, you know, 10 years of a booming oil patch out there. So um, how, how's it been the last 10 years for you? Well, really, it's been the last 18, you know. Huh. I started business um, in Minneapolis in 99, and we moved. I was doing contract programming for small businesses and focused on the building industry. Moved my company here to be near family in May of 02. Um, it wasn't long after that, Jason, that, that uh, we started hearing the rumblings. I mean, it started with the Elm Cooley Field in 2003. My brother-in-law worked... Uh, you know, downhole pumps, and I remember him talking about the activity in the Elm Cooley, and that was really, um, you know, it was a group, I think some Halliburton uh, veterans that put together the concept of applying the horizontal drilling and the hydraulic fracturing to the, to the middle member. I mean, um, you know, trying to tap that Bakken shale formation has been going on since they drilled the H.O. Bakken 1 in 52 or 53. There's conflicting records on that, but down in the Billings Nose, the Ness and Anacline, um, you know, they've been trying to tap into that vertically, into the upper member, And but it was at Elm Cooley that we started to see activity, but then um, it was in, what, June of 2006 that EOG hit the partial discovery well, and in 2006, it just started to get uh, really crazy around here. Um, you know, people talk about 11 and 12, but in December of 2007, uh, I served on the Williston Development Foundation Board, Tom Ralstead's um, group, Economic Development. And that December, uh, we typically had our annual meeting and awards for economic development. And he converted that thing into building the Williston Basin Summit because of what we were facing from six and seven. Um, and in fact, I think if you search, do a Google search on that Williston, building the Williston Basin Summit, you'll find the agenda and pictures out there. Um, state leadership, um, Senate and House majority leaders, uh, the cabinet members, DOT, housing finance, uh, said, uh, Governor Hovind was here. Um, I believe that was December of 08. We, we were ringing the bell back then saying, this is coming. Hess, there were a number of operators that were telling us what was coming. And we just couldn't get anybody to buy into the idea that this was going to be long-term and as significant as it was. And, you know, the next few years, every year, it was just uh, exponential increase in activity, um, challenges, infrastructure problems. Um, we were ringing the bell on housing, workforce. Uh, I mean, 
we were yelling as loud as we could to get help and doing it as much as we could. Um, and it was just every year we couldn't believe the numbers. We couldn't believe the charts. We, when is it going to stop? You can't have this kind of exponential growth endlessly. And it just set, it kept going year after year. And it was finally in actually the end of 2010 when uh, we just couldn't see traction with the housing that I got. And, and, and uh, all the businesses coming, I mean, we're t- literally talking about hundreds of businesses and thousands of people descending upon Western North Dakota. When you think about the, the, the average wealth price, they were putting $20 billion worth of economic activity into a state that had state GDP of, I think, $52 billion at the time or, or something like that. The GDP numbers are our exponential growth as well, our, you know. So with everybody descending, and our name was on a lot of things. By that time, we had been here eight years. We had done the websites for the city, the county, the hospitals, the banks. I mean, we were kind of a weird resource in a town of 12,000 people to have our, our skill set. Um, you just didn't see it in a rural community like that. So, so we ended up doing a lot of things. Our name was on everything. We became a connecting point. I mean, people referred to us as the other economic development office. And people were coming to us, say, how do we connect? How do we do business? And it just the format wasn't there. So that's when we created the Bakken Oil Products and Service Show in October of 2011. But in pitching that show, um, somebody connected me with Vance um, at the Sleep In and Minot, and they had just moved the Williston Basin Petroleum um, conference from Minot to Bismarck because of the size and growth of that. They needed more space and hotel rooms. So they wanted to do something there. And we saw an opportunity and a need to connect people to invest in the opportunities in Western North Dakota to help us solve problems. So we actually created the Bakken Investor Conference in, uh, we ran it in uh, June of 2011. Um, We had just over 100 people attend that event. As we go back and reflect, we ran that event for three years, 11, 12, and 13. That's the one you were at. Um, I think you were at 12 and 13. And I look back at those photos, and I can see the people in that room who are the people that did projects in land development, housing construction, and other projects in western North Dakota that helped us build the housing and the, the commercial real estate and the industrial stuff that we needed. Um, it, was, it, was, it was fascinating to, to look through those photos and see the faces of, of people who we now know today are the ones that came in, did projects, are still here. I mean, Mike Dolbeck from Bismarck, Winsong Homes, he, I saw him in, in photos along with, you know, just others, um, Sessions and, and, and some of those that have made deep investments and commitments to helping us build what we needed. The other one was, you know, after we had done the investor conference and then the oil show, we turned right around and started planning for the 2012 investor conference. And at the same time, just the frustration with the lack of housing, we, we put together the housing summit, the Bakken housing summit in May of 2012 in Williston at the airport in we had over 350 people. We had to close registration. The fire marshal was getting mad at me because of the amount of people we had in that facility. And I mean, we had investors from across the country, around the world. We had people attending from Spain, Australia, um, Singapore, um, a lot of stuff from Florida, California, Texas, uh, New York, um, and and. We had state leadership, we had local builders, we had um, just a ton of resources. We had Barry Ruttenberg, who was the president of the National Association of Home Builders at the time, um, spoke. Um, We had housing finance, uh, Mike Anderson at the time. Um, Just, we had a state panel, how to do business in North Dakota. We had, um, you know, just just all of that. And, And it was about connecting people I mean, I, I couldn't build houses to solve that problem, but we knew we could create an environment to bring people together that were capable of doing it, show them what the need was, 
and and we saw people connecting and getting deals done and making things happen. So that was 11, 12, and 13 were kind of the, I'd, I'd say that was the crucible moments where we were just, that was when the pressure was probably the greatest, the infrastructure needs were the greatest. And it was after that that we started seeing DOT investing in, in roads. Uh, we got the laws project off the ground. 2010 was when the planning started for the XWA airport. Um, and, and we saw jet service in, I think, June of 12 after they did that resurfacing. The resurfacing of that airport to get the jet service took place the week of our oil show in October of 2011. It was kind of a bit of an inconvenience, but it also shed light on designing the airport in such a way that potentially you could use a taxiway uh, for your runway during maintenance and construction. So it, it, it's been extremely interesting uh, to look back and reflect. I mean, during the downturn, we had an opportunity to pause. I mean, the downturn was such a severity that, I mean, we had 40 to 60% decline in our business for three years in a row. Um, so it was uncomfortable, um, but uh, we survived that. And then we've seen, you know, the, the return of activity. Um, it's been interesting to, to hear people talk about the different phases and the names that we gave them, you know, lower for longer and the new normal. And it's been interesting to reflect on some of those things as well. Jeff Zarling with us, Dawa. Dawa Solutions, correct? Dawa Solutions Group. And then the name of the Bakken Oil and Product Show, what's the actual name of that? Again, I didn't write it down in time. So what's the correct name? Yeah, we call it the Bakken Oil Product and Service Show. There we go. Bakken Oil Product and Service Show. Now, my memory is that's a, that's a fall event, correct? Correct. It's the first week of October each year. This year it's October 2nd and 3rd. October 2nd and 3rd. So that's coming up not too far away. Go ahead and talk about that a little bit. Do you, uh, do you have some sponsors? Are you looking for sponsors? What kind of agenda do you have? I know you don't usually have like big speakers or anything. I know one year you brought in Myron Maxson or Myron Mixon from uh, the old barbecue uh, championship show, and that was kind of a big deal. But uh, normally it's more about the products and the services from my past uh, um, uh, ventures to your show. Yeah, that was our original concept, actually. I modeled it after a builder's products and service show that we participated in in the Twin Cities in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. And it was primarily, I mean, the need was so great to connect companies. People just didn't know all of the uh, vendors that were in the marketplace. The first year we ran it, um, we had, I think, about 170 booths with a waiting list of over 200 companies. Um, and now we're down to about, uh, we, we're around that 100, 120 range as far as the last three years after the downturn. So that's kind of the where our new normal is at. Of what, that's, what that's, not a bad, that's, that's not a bad number, though. No, no. It's, and, and we get people that are coming back perennial exhibitors who are here every year making connections and and growing their business and connecting with customers um, but it, it was originally designed as just just product and services um, you know for people to connect and see what's what's out there and, and make those connections um, over the years we've added different features just um, we did a barbecue competition one year to support um, the Salvation Army to help them kick off their season um, and this year we've, what we've learned from the marketplace as things have settled down, people have a little more time now. And so what they've asked for is actually, um, some additional content around it from the vendors and, and, you know, things in the marketplace. Actually, uh, this year we have the industry forums, um, and we, we modeled it around our key audiences. We attract the day-to-day -day people who live, work, and play in the Williston Basin. You know, a number of other conferences, people go to a place for a particular, you know, whether it's NAEP or whether it's some of these water-focused ones in Houston or, or some things in Denver. 
Um, we attract the day-to-day people who are in the marketplace here, all the way from the roustabout and, and truck to, um, you know, uh, frack, completions, downhole tools, things from an engineering perspective, safety, training. Um, so so it, it's a wide swath of vendors and attendees, but it's in three key areas that we see uh, trucking and fleet, um, uh, engineering, and then well site and facilities are kind of three topical areas that we are focused on and we've added industry forums, two or three two-hour um, forums um, from 9:30 to 11:30 on Wednesday, and from two to two to four on Wednesday, and then from 9:30 to 11:30 on Thursday. And uh, we're excited about this. The uh, the fleet and trucking focus this year is the load pass permit system. Uh, yesterday, the load pass permit system implemented a new. Uh, GIS-based routing platform that they've been working on with the state DES and all the counties and incorporating the most comprehensive and accurate routable road network in western North Dakota into the permitting process. So uh, we've been working on it for two years, um, and that went into production yesterday. Um, So at the show, we're going to have a actually the the trucking forum two hours is going to be focused on load pass. The first hour is going to be on training and using the system, uh, power user topics, the number of those things, and then the the second um, session for load pass is going to be the load pass system administrators are going to be there, the policy advisor that um, works on all the policy stuff and, and uh, the weather stations and the developers are going to be there. So we're going to talk about enhancements to the system, things that people like, don't like, uh, upcoming potential enhancements, and get input from the uh, trucking and dispatch, the users. So we're looking at putting in a mobile app. We're looking at exposing the weather station information, which is being used by the counties to better. It, it's an effort by the, organi- the entity to um, better isolate road closures associated with weather events. That's why these weather stations have been um, installed. And so it's something supported by the legislature to increase uptime and and reduce the amount of impacts by weather events on road closures for moving equipment. So we're really excited about that one. Uh, The afternoon, two-hour session, the UND Petroleum Engineering Department is coming to Williston to present six of their doctorate-level research program or research projects um, to the engineering folk um, in the industry here. So six um, specific Bakken-related reservoir, downhole. Um, I mean, the, the topics are posted on the website at BakkenOilShow.com, and Dr. Rasuli will be here. Um, and we're actually promoting the UND Petroleum Engineering Program uh, in a sister event that we're launching this year is the career fair targeted towards high school, college students, and their parents to understand the opportunities in the industry. Jeff Zarling, Dawa with us. Also, Roughneck Coffee and the Bakken Oil Product and Service Show, October. <clears throat> Excuse me, I had a little coffee in my throat there. October 2nd and 3rd, Williston North Dakota Raymond Family Community Center. Sounds like it's, it should be a pretty decent time, and there's going to be a couple days' worth of activities, at least a day and a half of uh, activities. Uh, you've, you've adapted pretty well, it sounds like, and listening to the customers, trying to figure out how to bring in some knowledge that you know is, is not necessarily out there readily in all the other shows, because a lot of the trade shows are very similar. Uh, you've got one that's uh, very unique in its own right. Uh, talk to me a little bit about how it is putting together a show, putting together uh, marketing campaigns, putting together connections. When you're living in the heart of it, yet sometimes you know you got to connect uh, outside of the industry. Do you know what I mean by that? To where sometimes it's hard to see the forest from the trees type of a thing to where when you're in the thick of it, um, you might, you, you might get so caught up in it that, um, 
you know, it's hard to see the other side. Do you ever experience that a little bit to where trying to engage with the uh, people outside of the industry might not be the same as what it used to be type of a thing? Um, when, as you mentioned that, I mean, I think about a couple of things. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're in here day to day, our customers. I mean, we build systems that, that uh, for oil field service companies that run their business. So, um, you know, field ticketing, dispatch, um, open invoice integration, accounting system integration. So uh, we're in, intimately understand um, the oil and gas industry, the business, and, and what they're dealing with, the tools that you're, they're using, um, the equipment they use. And so we see and hear a lot. Um, so we've kind of got our ear to the ground when it comes to that. In, in a lot of different areas, too. You know, it's, it's not just engineering. It's, it's not just, you know, sales development. It's not just, you know, the, 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 the water department. It's, it's, like you said, it's, it's HR, and it's, it's a lot of different areas. So that's what I'm getting at is that you, you talk to a lot of different departments and a lot of different um, personalities and a lot of different uh, hierarchies. Do, do you know what I mean by that, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, we see it, we work with, from the dispatcher and, and office admin to working with management and leadership. Um, we get engaged in things, you know, some of the uh, local operating company leadership and some of the challenges they're facing. I mean, with workforce recruiting, I mean, that's where, why we added the career fair, because this whole workforce, you know, we, we said, well, maybe, maybe we, we talked about it for a year. And we've been engaged with the workforce development stuff that's going on in Watford City, as well as a group here in Williston coordinating some things. And and uh, we saw this as an opportunity. Having the engine, engineering group here, uh, we saw it as an opportunity to, to create a venue where we can connect industry um, educators and, and high school and college students. And, and, you know, it's always been, I think, the role that we've played is is connecting people and disseminating information. That is really the role we played in, in this event production stuff that we've done. You know, it's always kind of been this little thing outside on, on the side of our core systems development marketing services. And, you know, some people, you could argue that it's a lack of focus, but it's like a buddy of mine said, we, we use our business to affect change in our community and it's just a part of our DNA um, is problem solving. So we continue to do it. Um, but yeah, as far as like visibility and you, you got to pay attention to what's going on and you have to lift your head up from the desk sometimes and, and, uh, get outside of your normal circles to see some other things that can, um, be applied and incorporated in what we're doing. Uh, there's a lot of stuff, I mean, at the state level, uh, with what commerce is doing, um, there was the release yesterday or today that, that press release from university system on the implementation of that i think it was house bill 1116 or something on the the um, tuition reimbursement or grants um, so it's now now how do we get the industry uh and business to utilize that program you know we start by sharing that information and figuring out how you get the subject matter experts to to assist the companies in implementation and, and it's exciting to see you know what hess is doing with their jet program Oasis is doing some things with internships, and and it's um, a lot of exciting things going on. You know, sometimes people get frustrated and says, why isn't anything happening? There's there's a lot of stuff happening out there. You just have to kind of lift your head up and look around sometimes and see it. Jeff Zarling, Davos Solutions Group with us. Uh, mind if I ask you a couple questions before we conclude the interview since you're um – a wealth of knowledge when it comes to oil and gas. You, you, you know, you absorb it, you live it day to day. Shoot. Okay. All right. Good deal. So one of the stories that we've been tracking for about the past three years on this program is what I just call the essence of capitalism. You know, I, I look at the energy industry and in my, my opinion, and I've feel like I've been able to back it up pretty well with with uh, evidence, both anecdotal and uh, scientific, that the energy industry is really one of the last, if not the last, bastion for capitalism. The type of industry where the 
you know, you, you, you've got the opportunity to, you know, be a, be a roughneck working one day and you figure out a new vibrating tube and the next day you invent it and then Marathon signs it and Conoco signs it and all of a sudden you're a president of a company. And I, we've got an example that we've interviewed in the past couple months and that's Patlock Safety Solutions out of Watford City, 201 Main Street, Watford City. Pat Young, he was a roughneck and now he's a president of a safety company, you know, type of a thing because he's got a product he figured out that works. Uh, you've, you know, you're, um, you, you've experienced capitalism with your roughneck coffee and everything else. But on the other side, you've really helped a lot of these people from the corporations all the way down to the single one-man shop. So um, what is your perception and your answer or um, observations when it comes to the essence of capitalism in the oil and gas industry? Yeah, I, I, I think it's a case study in in, in the uh, argument for for capitalism. I mean, you talk about Pat Young, um, you know, and they've exhibited at our show a number of times and, and brought that, see, watch him bring that product to market, you know, work, working on well site locations and seeing the danger inherent in, in those pumping units not being properly locked out and and coming up with a solution and being successful with that. And we talk about diversification, um, you know, serving on economic development. You talk about there's diversification, um, you know, not being dependent on egg, egg and oil and things, but we have to leverage and we are leveraging the economic activity involved with uh, oil and gas. And people are then building these type of businesses. Now it's a manufacturing business, right? I mean, look at Stephis, what they've done, how they've grown since they got involved, uh, you know, starting with their, their hard metal ex- expertise with just uh, four-arm barrel tanks, catwalks, and, and containment, and then applying their engineering uh, expertise to, you know, flip, you know, more efficient flare stacks that reduce emissions to now that they're heavily involved in um, package solutions, um, turnkey package solutions that are reducing on-site construction, that are reducing costs and, and driving down costs for operators. I mean, that's a huge uh, impact that they're having there and the whole electronics and, and the number of jobs that they've created, not just in Dickinson, but in Grand Forks. And, and I think about uh, Flowcore, um, you know, Flowcore, which uh, I'm in, involved with, um, but Chuck Black uh, developed a freshwater monitoring and chemical injection system based on feedback from people in the chemical business side of the business that were frustrated with these old dumb pumps, you know, 60-year-old technology, and uh, coming up with this smart solution to uh, control chemical costs, better treat wells, reduce downtime. And now you have a manufacturing company based here in Williston that's producing a product, uh, just like manufacturing with Cephas and, and Patlock. And software side, you've got uh, um, Pump Tracker, Pump Track down in Bismarck, um, you know, a family member that was involved with uh, downhole pumps. And, and just tracking that information resulted in this uh, software platform that they've developed. And, and so, yeah, we see a lot of that. Um, and that's how you create jobs, and that's how you create opportunity for people. And creating jobs and opportunity is a lot better than giving, you know, try, trying to support something through, you know, just donations. When you give somebody, you know, you, that economic opportunity, it just it multiplies and it grows. And uh, I, I think we've seen a lot of that in Western. I mean, I mean, just look at the capital investment. Look at this. The, the numbers are staggering. I mean, find a chart and look at the state GDP um, and, and the makeup of it. Um, it's incredible. Um, you look at the sales tax dollars, uh, you know, and you, you average annual wage. Look at the average annual wage in Williams and McKenzie County as compared to the rest of the state in the country. Uh, look at the average annual wage in the oil and gas industry is over 110000 um, You know, it, those are things that, that contribute to people's financial and well-being and and uh, I mean it just there's a lot of incredible opportunity and it's been it's been a pleasure to watch it experience it and and see people be successful um, and and what I love is this 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 uh, 
discussion we're having about trades and you know for 40 years we've said you had there's only one way to be successful it's work smart not hard and you know the whole micro work smart and hard I mean we see people in this trades coming out with two years of education you know starting at sixty thousand seventy thousand dollar year salaries doing skills um, there's there's more one way and uh, Western North Dakota certainly exemplifies that and shines a light on it let me ask you about bridging communications between uh, the east and the west side of the state. Um, you're you're aware of the issues that have happened in Colorado with um, the just organization of special interest party through uh, what I would call liberal cities, and, and not that I would, others have called it in the media, et cetera. Uh, we've heard the same rumblings in Austin, Texas, and Fargo, North Dakota, as the, you know the liberal cities and oil and gas states. Uh, you've you've been in North Dakota for a long time to know that there is a little bit of the Hatfield and McCoy when it comes to the east and west of the state. There's a sod buster, you know, donkey um, pumping mentality type of a thing. So much, you know, Richard Wardner, uh, state is he the majority leader? Anyway, is is. Yeah, you know, the Prairie Dog Bill, he championed that because he wanted to ensure Western North Dakota got uh, finances because other districts seemed to take it, even though 50% of the state's <laughs> budget comes from oil and gas, I'm sorry, to oil and gas taxes. That, by the way, that was one of the most remarkable statistics I've seen. And I had to, like, second guess myself like should i be overwhelmed by this because that seems like amazing to me that an entire state would uh, rely on two taxes from one industry for such a large percentage of their budget um that is part of this context of the question uh you, you're in the communication business you do a very good job at the conferences you know how to connect with different people i was in the con oh you were in the conference at gillette as well one of the things that was talked about by the moderator at one of the panels was, is the energy industry is missing that, where's the beef, you know, that, where's that connection, that, uh, that type of thing, you know, they haven't had that in a while. So there is those, you know, thoughts about, you know, the environmentalism coming into play here, creating, you know, well, look at the Meridian, uh, uh, Meridian Energy Group and the Davis Refinery. They had to spend a year with red tape due to environmentalist groups. And they call that the new normal too. So um, the question is about bridging the gap, communicating with people who are not necessarily going to church with the people that work in the industry, that are not, you know, going to the ball games and that sort of thing. Because if Fargo on the east side of the state, you know, you're talking 65% of the population on the east side of the state. And yet 50% of the budget comes from the western side of the state. So you see what I mean to where um, there, there needs to be some communication done here. Well, I think the interesting thing about that, Jason, is that that communication is there in those areas because those are some of our largest uh, service providers here in western North Dakota are some of those... Um, those companies based in Fargo and Grand Forks. And, and uh, so they're able to tell that story. They're in, in the marketplace. I mean, North Star Steel, E2S, JLG. I mean, these companies that are based in Eastern North Dakota, they know as well, if not, they know as well as we do the importance of this industry um, because they've seen their businesses um, grow exponentially um, due to this industry. So, so they're able to tell that story instead of us having to tell it uh, all the time. Um, so, th so they're hearing it from from multiple sources. I mean, there's still people who don't have access to information or or um, don't expose themselves to that, or um, you know, choose to react to it in a different way. But I, I think we're we're fortunate that we have those companies that that uh, have been able to participate out here. Um, and I mean, frankly, uh, we didn't, we didn't, as you know, 
the needs out here were so great, there was no way Western North Dakota could provide the services that it needed to itself. I mean, so um, companies descended on here from all over the state, all over the country, uh, Idaho, Minnesota, South Dakota, Montana. Um, but, I mean, you, if, if you come from Grand Forks or Fargo and you, you drive around Williston, Watford City, and Dickinson for any amount of time, and you're going to recognize an awful lot of logos. Um, I mean, it's just from subcontractors, contra- general contractors, you know, construction engineers, icon architects. I mean, these, these are the firms and the companies that are building the infrastructure, designing the buildings, um, you know, the water projects. So there's a lot of communication. I see they, they write letters to the editor. Um, so there's some visible things, but you know they're having those conversations with the people that they're going to church with and and the, that their kids go to school with and that they're sitting at sports with. And and so um, I think we're fortunate that they're, they that we have those those people then tell it from their perspective of what they're experiencing out here and not just take our word for it. And we, the Petroleum Council does a good job of the teachers' tours, the legislative tours of, of getting them out here and seeing it firsthand. I mean, it's, it's hard to, you know, form an opinion about something unless you've, you know, gone out there and looked at it, you know. And the same goes the other way. I mean, we, we need to understand you know, the challenges that those communities face. I mean, we understand their, their flooding, their water issues. Uh, we have to understand that and, and uh, form an educated opinion about that and how do we all work together with the state's resources to, to solve the problems from a larger perspective. So there's some disinformation and misinformation out there, but I think, I think we have a lot of good things going on from a lot of entities. You know, the one thing that, as you were talking, I was just thinking about UND, the University of North Dakota, which is on the eastern side of the state. I see them as being a real opportune player in the communication because there's so much. Well, I think Harold Hamm, doesn't he have a a library or a wing named after him now? He's donated so much money. Yeah, something with the geology or the petroleum engineering department. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's just a... To, to illustrate the point that, you know, there's there's uh, at the University of North Dakota, which is Grand Forks on the eastern side, 75 miles north of Fargo, uh, which is probably, I think that's got to be the second or third largest city, depends on, um, that, you know, the, the oil industry does a lot there with the EERC, the Energy and Environmental Research, their carbon capture, obviously the, the, the federal delegation does quite a bit with the EERC too. Uh, I see them as being a pretty good, uh, like I say, a player in terms of bridging that communication gap because the one thing that does concern me as an individual who really does love the oil and gas industry for the essence of capitalism it brings, for the jobs it creates, and quite honestly, just for the opportunity it brings communities, is that on the eastern side of the state, you know, for every one person added to Watford City and Williston, they're adding three or four to Fargo and Grand Forks because of the universities. And that that's just something I, I'm just keeping an eye on because, you know, that's, that's how this slow growth of things happens. So I do think there is a responsibility for UND and even NDSU, and I would even go as far to say Wapaton, which is, about 75 miles south of Fargo, and they've got another university down there that does a lot with the UAS industry in terms of um, building the manufa- or building the um, drones and some of the unmanned aerial uh, equipment for Grand Forks as well. But uh, do you have any, any opinion on that in terms of, you know, UND, NDSU, uh, taking a step up and maybe being a little bit more of a leader when it comes to bridging that gap of communication when it comes to understanding the energy industry and how, you know, honestly, you need fossil fuels to basically do everything because there is this push to bring in some environmentalism to places probably where it shouldn't be brought. (laughs) Anyway, your thoughts on that, I guess. UND and the Petroleum Engineering Department um, is actually engaged with the industry. They have what's called an Industry Advisory Council, and I'm, I'm not sure there's maybe a dozen or so people on that 
from the oil and gas industry that, that advise them on what's going on in the industry, what their needs are, um, looking at curriculum, looking at activities, connecting people with internships. Um, so there's, there's significant engagement there. So that line of communication is um, significant. Um, so they have access to, um, you know, that industry information and those relationships. So um, I know that that, that is in place. Um, I think, again, with the EERC, they're significantly involved with the industry on research projects, um, both federally, uh, uh, federal grant-based projects and, and things from the state uh, oil and gas research fund um, that, that fund research. Uh, into specific industry topics, whether it's, you know, obviously um, <clears throat> uh, CO2 capture and, and uh, enhanced recovery uh, are the big topics. But um, again, if you look at, at our, our oil show website and those uh, six presentations that are, that are happening, uh, very complicated titles, um, but, uh, and I don't understand them all, um, but you can see that they're engaged those research topics are actually um, uh, derived from and driven from industry issues that they're facing, uh, and that's where some of those topics come from. Um, so, so they're well engaged. How that communication goes out is disseminated. I'm, I'm not certain, but but you know, you got to know that that's that's taking place. Um, we're seeing significant engagement with you, uh, Mary BSC, in Western North Dakota. Uh, through the initiatives, the 4T initiative uh, down in Watford City um, with Kent Ellis. Um, you're seeing uh, they're, they're, they're making those investments of time and resources and people in engaging with the industry and the, com the communities. Uh, again, that career fair we're running at the oil, in, in conjunction with the oil show, is geared towards high school, college students, and their parents. And we have um, participation from Train ND, Wilson State College, UND, Montana Tech, um, BSC, um, and, I, and I believe we're, we're visiting with you, Mary, if they're able to make it. Um, so they're, they're, they're getting here and getting engaged, and I think they understand the needs, and I think they're making uh, progress towards um, focusing on those needs. So um, that's exciting to see. You know, I was just thinking, too, I think Kathy Nessett, um, with formerly Nessett Consulting, now just Nessett, uh, I think she's going to play a big part in this, too. She was with, the obviously, the school board or the state, the state um, education board. I forget the actual name of it, but she was, you know, the chief education person, and now she's transitioning over to the Petroleum Council. I see she's the incoming president of the... Uh, elected president on their board or whatever their um, um, system is over there that they have of hierarchy. But she's taking on some leadership roles and just kind of her path. Uh, she's always been one that's been able to connect with some people outside the industry on a pretty fairly easily uh, engagement process I've noticed with her she she connects very well outside the industry and some don't you know that's just some people connect easier in the industry that type of thing and so um, I don't know if you have any comments on that. You know Kathy pretty well that uh, she's she's got a, a knack for this type of thing. Do you see her stepping up and being kind of maybe that person that can can be almost like a, um, a face for that bridge that that that's uh, going into the next generation? <laughs> well, she certainly has been traditionally over the last um, eight or nine years, I would say. Uh, she actually spoke at our first investor conference in uh, 2011. She's very engaging and helps people understand uh, what's going on. You know, she's originally from uh, New Jersey, right? And so um, she she brings, you know, some of that. She, although she's been here since I believe the late 70s, she brings. She talks about that that perspective and and um, you know she has those relationships and and so has that brought that. She's very engaging um, with people outside the industry, uh, and you see her. She's she's been a part of the uh, uh, the Bakken 101 type presentations that uh, the NDPC does in conjunction with their 
Bach and Rocks uh, cookouts that they do throughout the communities to engage the communities um, and educate them. Um, she's long been a part of that process. Um, she's often speaks at the annual meeting to the, again the sessions that they have that are open to the public um, prior to the annual meeting starting uh, to help people understand. And, and those meetings have been in Grand Forks and last year I believe it was in Fargo. Um, and those are well attended. And um, so it's an opportunity to get that information out and have that discussion when questions come up and people want to know about uh, horizontal drilling and hydraulic fracturing and, and what that's really about. Because um, once people you know, get beyond the, the headlines and the talking points and actually look at what things are, that's it's like we're talking about you know the conversation of understanding challenges in the West and challenges in the East. We just we just have to have that dialogue and engage so that we understand instead of just uh, regurgitating what we hear somebody else say. Um, you know, ed educate yourself. Take an opportunity to do that. And and I think she's done that uh, for for a long time. Um, has done it well. And uh, again, serving on the state board of higher ed. Uh, serving as the president of that at, for a period of time. Uh, she's been engaged at that level as well. Jeff Zarling, Dawa Solutions Group, celebrating 20 years in business. And that's why we have the good gentleman on today. He's been absorbed in the oil and gas world for nearly 20 years now, and actually 20 years. And uh, let's, let's just go ahead and round her up here and wind her down and give yourself a nice big plug and a pat on the back. Let people know how they can keep you in business for another 20 years. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, we're, we're here in Williston, uh, doing, uh, systems development and, uh, marketing solutions and, and offering up the oil show for people, uh, to connect and conduct business. So. Uh, we've we've appreciated the opportunity to do that in Western North Dakota. You know, my friends back. Uh, we we spent 12 years in Minnesota, and they used to ask me, "Are you glad you moved?" And it's it's always been a resounding yes. I mean, we we love being here, uh, being around family, and the opportunities, not just in the business, but engaging in the community, and in the political process, have been things that I don't think would have been available to me um, back in the Twin Cities. And so we've, I've, I've personally enjoyed that opportunity and thankful for uh, Tom Rolstead was a big part of 